Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Two for One podcast brought to you by Anchor and the In Lane, a Miami Heat NBA podcast. Let's start light today, Sean. How about a joke? Sure, Tony, what you got? What's the difference between the Boston Celtics and a dollar bill? Wow. I, I, I honestly have no idea. You can actually get four quarters out of a dollar bill. But um, maybe too soon, but just on time for another matchup on Tuesday. <laughs> it was you want me to give you another but um to kind of get the transition going? I don't know if we have the uh, the budget for those sound effects. We'll just have to make our own, right? Oh, great point. <laughs> so let's look back at the week. It was two for uh, two for one. It was two and one on the seat on the week for the Heat. Uh, started off the week with sort of a disappointing loss to the Dallas Mavericks at home. Uh, Friday got a good win against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then finished it up Sunday Mother's Day afternoon with a great win on the road against the Boston Celtics. So Tony, all in all, what do you think about last week? I think Jimmy Butler's a goddamn MVP in Heat and Five. Jim VP. Jim VP. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you, I have a conversation with my friend uh, offsite a lot about the importance of one player or two players on an NBA basketball court. Their counterpoint to me is always it takes a team, it takes a village to get these things going. But Jimmy Butler, the basketball player, might not be able to affect the game to win it by himself. But Jimmy Butler, the mind, most certainly can. I think if, if I have any thoughts on this past week, it's that, holy crap, do we have this absolute freaking dog of a leader. Um, and we've known this for a long time. It's just after the malaise of the last couple games before the Timberwolves matchup, um, not having Jimmy on the floor has literally sucked and having him back is like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I hate as a coach to think about you know, that term flipping a switch, but some people are are skilled enough that they have that switch. Jimmy's got that switch. And it's not that he doesn't play hard all the time, but he's, he's taking it to a whole nother level. Now he knows what's at stake. We're not at the playoffs yet. We're about a week away, but he knows, you know, every game at this point is almost a must win. Um, he's leading by example. He's, he's playing elite level basketball. There are very few people in the NBA right now, as you said, that are playing better than Jimmy Butler. There are only uh, on four as far as win shares are concerned. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no longer one of those things where, you know, every fan base essentially comes up with a Jim VP type slogan for their, their star player. When they go to the free throw line at home, they chant MVP, you know, all those things. But realistically, we know, you know, at certain points, they don't really belong in the discussion. Jimmy belongs in the discussion. He's not going to win. We know that. But he, he's he's on the final four, final five guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I think when you talk about it, you're probably considering Steph, Dame, uh, Jokic, Jimmy has to be in that conversation now. Yeah, there, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. You start to get into those guys that have missed games. LeBron, James Harden. And that's what, and that might be what takes Jimmy out of this conversation a little bit because of how many games he's missed. But there are only four players with a higher percentage of win shares. Jimmy Mm -hmm. is adding 9.8 wins a game, which puts him in super elite company uh, throughout basketball history. And what he's doing defensively is also incredible. I'm seeing conversations being had on the internet right now that are pitting Jimmy (laughs) against like, 
Ben Simmons, putting Jimmy against Bam, comparing their defensive impact. And you can make this argument that what Jimmy does with the opportunistic steals, um, jumping the ball lanes, that he's affecting the game more defensively than he is offensively. And Sunday is is the best evidence of that. He had one shot in the first half. Yeah. If I'm, you know, and, and if you watch that game, there was still no doubt that Jimmy Butler, if he wasn't the best player on the floor, he was among the top two or three players that whole first half by taking one shot. You know, that's that's really tough to do. Most most superstar players have to shoot the ball. And if I'm talking to any Heat fans that have listened to me and tried to understand what I mean when I say one player turns the tide of an entire game, it's that. Like, as long – the reason I have never given up on this team all season and the hashtag Heat and Five, which is a joke for the most part, I don't think we're winning any series by five games. But the reason I've always kept that in the back of my mind is you have Jimmy Butler and you have Bam Adebayo, and on any given night, those guys can be the best player on the court. We've seen it against the greatest at the highest level of competition, which is the NBA Finals. So if they can do it there, they can do it in the first round of a playoff series, the second, the third, and uh, they can get us anywhere we want to go as long as they have that motor and engine kicking. Yeah, you know, and, and we obviously, you know, got wins against Minnesota and Boston, but looking back at Dallas, it's kind of a disappointing game. We were at home. There was news that day that Porzingis was going to miss the game. Maxi Kleber missed the game. And really the thing that stands out, besides Luca, who you knew was going to cause problems, was Heat legend Tim Hardaway's son, Tim Hardaway Jr., lighting us up for 10 threes. So what did you take away, maybe including Tim Hardaway, but anything from that game? I'm going to be really honest. This is one of those moments where I'm so thankful you talked first because I've literally thrown that game from my brain. And I forgot that that was the Tim Hardaway Luca game. And I'm not even joking. I, I really threw it out of my head because of how much happiness I've had lately. Um, when I go back and touch on that, I, I think about defensive scheme and how in the playoffs we could really get rocked by some squads because there seems to be a philosophy of let the other guys beat you. We've seen this for a long time. And this is what bred random scrub heat killer is if someone else is going to beat us, so be it. Um, the problem is, is that those freaking guys have been world beaters. Like anytime we want Malik Monk to beat us, he does it with a 40 point triple double. So I, I worry a little bit, the Mavs game, if I have to think about it critically, I worry about how we're going to play some of these bigger, more athletic squads in the playoffs, how we're going to play the the Milwaukee's for instance, who's a big matchup worry for me. Um, you know, the Knicks, what happens if, you know, Mitchell Robinson gets hot or whatever stretch four is playing the three there. Like I, I, that's the only thing that I want to hold on to outside of that. The Mavs games out of my head. Yeah. You can, you can draw some parallels to Atlanta too, who is a, uh-huh. probably our most likely I would say matchup at this point if not our second most likely is Atlanta and you know the decision that they're going to have to make is what do you do with Trey Young who can who can by himself really get hot and beat you but do you squeeze the ball out of his hands and let Bogdanovich Kevin Herter let John Collins um, obviously Capella is not quite the offensive guy except for he hits the offensive glass great and they have guys off the bench, Lou Williams. They fit that mold of a team that, you know what, yes, everybody that walks in the gym that knows anything about the NBA knows Trey Young's great. But the guys around him 
are pretty darn good too. And, and that's why I think a lot of people are actually pretty concerned about playing Atlanta if that's what comes in the, in the first round of the playoffs. Seeing more of Bogdanovich's consistency this year or towards the back half of the season has worried me now to the level that you are at. For a long time, I liked the Hawks matchup, and I, I think it's still not as depressing as what some people are putting out there. It's it's no longer one I'm seeking. I'm now hoping and praying for the Knicks. Uh, I, I mean, fall of my heart. If I go to basketball reference right now, the Heat have a 94% chance to make the playoffs because you were talking about odds earlier. We have a 53% chance to win the sixth seed, which is the most likely seed for us. Outside of that, we're looking at the five at 17%. And then the next most likely scenario would be, and hold your ears for this, the eighth seed at a 10% chance. Um, they don't like us going higher than six at basketball reference. Um, this, this, this team has a 1% chance to win the conference and a 0.2% chance to go to the finals. Now, for reference, the Hawks have a 4.7% chance to win the conference and the Boston Celtics, who just lost Jalen, no, a 2.1% chance. So not a lot of love given from the odds makers to the Miami Heat. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's so much. If you think back to last year, it's so much about matchups. I think, you know, living in Philadelphia, you hear right now, because they're sitting pretty at one, they're thinking about who they're going to be matched up with and not really worrying about the eight seed, but who's going to be the four or five. So that's who they play in the second round, most likely. And it's going to be an easier path for them than whatever happens with Brooklyn and Milwaukee two and three, should those two teams advance. Now they have to play a really tough second round matchup and then they have to play Philly. Meanwhile, Philly gets not easy, you know, Philly, maybe they play Atlanta, New York, Miami. Those are still good teams. You know, don't they're they're not a team. They're just going to bust them up and sweep them out of the second round of the playoffs. But it's a different level than playing Milwaukee or Brooklyn. I think for Miami last year, we benefited from playing Indiana, who was banged up. We swept them. Then we got Milwaukee, which was a great matchup for us last year. Emphasis Mm -hmm. on last year. And Milwaukee is not the same team this year. So, you know, to, to use last year as, oh, this is who we want to play because Milwaukee and we beat them in five and we really probably should have swept them and blah, 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 blah. I don't know if that's the way I would go. That's not the hill I'm trying to die on for sure. Hopefully we can avoid them. I, I actually, I'm not alone on this hill, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking around and I don't have many friends up here, but I would prefer the Nets uh, to the Bucks. I just feel like we can do more against their bench. I feel like we can do more in the mid-range. And unfortunately, this team has some mid-range guys. They're mid-range heavy um, playing against their drop. There's just a better opportunity to win games, in my mind, playing the Nets than the Bucks. And, and neither of them are great options, obviously, for no. us to be playing against. And if you're in the round, you're going to play against a good team anyways. If you're the Heat. Um, I agree with you. I, I said that earlier today in the, the Ron Rothstein's pool party chat. I said I would rather play Brooklyn just because of the unknowns of their injury issues. And I know they're great scores. I know they have three amazing players, but I just think it, there's there's just it's just something about Milwaukee this year. I think that their defense and the addition of Drew Holiday, it just doesn't seem like the fit of 
what we could expose last year. And obviously Jay Crowder was a big part of that. So, and, and look, here's my argument against their three of the greatest scorers of all time. Oh, it seems like on a night to night basis, every team has three of the greatest scorers of all time against us. Like it, it just feels that teams score against us sometimes with ease. Um, what scares me is the other side of the coin. Like what happens when that team can also play defense? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what scares me. I'd just much rather play the nets. Cause I, I feel like we have opportunities against them defensively. All right, so let's transition over to the mailbag section, one of our favorite parts of the show each week. Uh, thank you guys for sending in your questions this week. You can submit those every week, anytime, by DMing either Tony at Twisted Tapioca or myself at Philly Heat NBA on Twitter. And so, Tony, you want to take the first question? Yeah, so this is not just a basketball-related question, but strictly a basketball question. This question's from Marco Romo, great friend of the show. Wilson or Spalding? I myself am a Wilson person. Uh, The Wilson evolution is my favorite basketball. It's soft, uh, not a great outdoor ball. Uh, It won't hold up very well outside, but for an indoor ball, it's got a soft feel. It's got a nice little groove to it. That's the ball that, uh, that we used in my, in my last coaching stop and uh, what we use in my current coaching stop. So what do you think? So the answer to this question is Under Armour. I love that Under Armour. Yeah, I know you're going to hate it. I love it. I just don't know. I don't know why it feels so cheap. So when it comes off of my fingers, like I just, I can get my fingers in the grooves better. Um, It's a Wilson. The Wilson's the better ball uh, by a good bit, but it's funny. You say it's like, it's not a good outside ball. That's how I remember it being a really crappy outside ball. You know, it's starting to, the leather's starting to tear off. You're getting that, yep. that underneath it where it's just like an all gray ball. Like that's what we played with. We played with that all gray mesh piece of crap. So that's why I'm going to pick Wilson here. It's probably my favorite. And as you're not seeing it right now, but Sean's holding up a Wilson that is starting to degrade. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's the memory of the ball that I played. That's with. what happens when you take a Wilson outside. All right. So our second question comes from JT of the Miami Sports Junkie podcast. Good friend of the show. He asks, with Tyler playing better these past two games, do you think he will get back into the groove from last season? And what's the most important thing for Twisted's twin brother to work on this offseason? Jeez. Oh, okay. So um, I, I don't think he ever left his groove. I don't know how many people are going to like me saying that. I just I think Tyler uh, was about what he was all, all this season than he was last season. And we've been moving him around roles a little bit. He's been a little banged up. Um, he has a defined role right now. He plays within a specific set of minutes. He himself says he will do whatever it is to help the team to win. Uh, Tyler's a young cat. He plays better when he knows what he's supposed to do going onto the floor night in, night out. And right now we're just asking him to come off the bench and score. It's just a great thing. Um, and then I'm going to answer the back half of this, Sean, and I'll let you take the whole thing. Sure. Uh, because I'll, I'll make it real quick. He needs to work on his lower body strength without question. He has uh, a lot of difficulty getting to the rim uh, after he starts his first two dribbles. Uh, so when he gets posted, he has no answer and he doesn't really have too many moves to get to. Uh, so the work he did last off season, which was uh, dribble, pick and roll, whole body strength. I kind of wish he'd focus just on the lower body strength. Okay. So we can kind of post some people up and get to the line, um, but continue ball handling work and continue the lower body strength. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, you, one thing to remember is Tyler's 21 years old. He should be entering his senior year at Kentucky. 
uh, if, you know, in today's world, if they still played till their senior year in college. Um, you know, definitely the weight room getting stronger, but the handle, like you talked about, I don't think that we're ever going to explore that point guard role for him anymore, but just having a stronger handle to get to his shot or to get downhill and create for other people. Uh, I think that's huge. Just having, um, you know, a couple more moves in his bag, go-to type things that he can get uh, his shot off with. Um, and then, you know, I, I've said it before, and I know it's it's not the most popular take, but I would love to see him go to summer league, whether it's, you know, just just for him to get exposed to playing against NBA pros. Obviously, they're going to be younger guys, but just playing in that environment, he's never really had a true offseason except for going into his rookie year. So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's playing at Stanley Remy's runs and things like that, I just want him playing basketball um, and working on the things that we talked about before. And don't you think if like he can play and I don't mean to belittle any summer league competitors because those are real ballers. Those are real players to get there. But don't you think that being able to see his offseason work bear fruit uh, in a game will benefit his mental so much? Yeah. And, you know, it's he, he would definitely be one of the best players in summer league because of the experience that he already has. Um, but it's it's just that that game situation, not just being in workouts, not playing, you know, one on zero and getting to your moves. And, and he's going to do that. Everybody in the NBA is playing pickup ball in the summertime. They're playing high level games. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, on a TV screen, you know, NBA TV or ESPN showing it on TV. I don't care if any of us see it as long as he's doing it. Um, and, and that goes really with the workouts too. You know, the, the guys that post it on Instagram versus the guys that do it behind the scenes, whatever I, all I care about is when we get back November 1st or whenever the season starts, that the results for Tyler are there, the growth and progress are there. And I think we all agree with that. Yeah. You said it great. And, and speaking of guards, I'm going to move us to our next question. Uh, this comes from John from Miami heat UK. Also great friends of the show. The three guard lineup of none hero Drogic have played 51 minutes since the trade deadline. They're plus 10 with 128 offensive rating. What's your thoughts about this group moving forward? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit pre-show and it's, it's an interesting lineup because if you didn't tell me anything about net rating or offensive rating, I would look at that and say, I don't want that lineup on the floor three small guards um, defensively, it scares me to death. Um, but what we're, we're finding is that over those 51 minutes, which is obviously a small sample size, but what we're finding is this group can keep us afloat. Um, typically, if you're going to have those three guys out there, you're not going to have Jimmy in the game. So that's why the sample size is small, but all you need during those minutes, and we know those minutes are agonizing. Those are times where Heat fans collectively, we, we, we sit in fear and wait for that. Usually it's around six or seven minutes left in that fourth quarter when Jimmy comes back. They just need to keep us afloat. What do you think? So I love your answer, and I'm going to pretty much echo it. Uh, when you are going into Jimmy off the floor time, especially – Bam off the floor. time. Actually, you know what? Bam off the floor time doesn't hurt anymore because Mr. Deadman is keeping us locked down. But when Jimmy is off the floor, I, our defense is going to bleed points anyway. There's no player on our bench that's going to replace the impact that Jimmy gives. So our best hope to maintain, to sustain, to stay afloat, to keep a damn lead 
in the third quarter is to try and match some offensive output. So uh, a lot of what you're saying, I'm going to echo here. I think offensively, those three guys versus bench units, which are typically smaller and a little slower, I, I like them. I like them on the floor. Before we move to the next question, you just look at Kendrick, who is obviously a starter, but Tyler and Goron, and these are going to be you know late third quarter, early fourth quarter minutes. Look at that group. I mean, what team is going to have a, a group of backups in the game and can match up with that type of firepower if they're on, you know, when they're playing to their potential on offense. I mean, what do you think yeah. around the league? That's a tough one to match. I, I think so. And I, and you have to assume the other two guys in the floor, there are going to be Ariza and Deadman or Iggy and Deadman. Um, if, if there's a, some off ball motion sets, you know, Goran's handling and you're setting picks, you have to kind of pick and choose what shooter you're going to cover there. If those guys are running around, that can be really disruptive. And I kind of hope that, to your point, there are three of the best shooters on this team. Spo creates some late-game sets for these guys, some actions that they can run off of each other, some some work just for this three-man group because offensively it can do some damage against some bench units. And if we're going up against Milwaukee's and Nets in the playoffs, we're going to have to find places to get points. And against bench units is a great place to start. Yeah, and, and hopefully if uh, Coach Spolster was listening, let's not assume that Deadman is the big man. Let's assume that Bam is the big man because we're saying Jimmy's not on the floor, and damn it, there should never be a moment where Jimmy and Bam are both not on the floor. Thanks, Coach. All right, we're going to move into our last question from Luke. Uh, we had to skip over this one last week. We, uh, we were just flooded with questions over our mailbag, and so we're getting to it this week. So Luke asks a question that says, after Jimmy and Bam, who will be the Heat's leading scorer during the playoffs, assuming everyone is healthy? So I think we're assuming a big assumption that Victor Oladipo is healthy also. So I'll let you take the first stab at it. Yeah, I still think it's Duncan. Uh, when the offense is in his flow and uh, when everything's going great, Duncan is somehow a three-level scorer, or at least a two-level scorer. He's attacking the rim and he's shooting the ball. Um, he, he's do, If if – I'm correct, and Spolster starts paying attention to some of the analytics. The Duncan Bam pick and roll is going to be starting to be used a little bit more. Um, there's going to be opportunities for Duncan to score the ball a little bit more. I I want it to be him. I want the third score to be him. That means he's hitting at least five threes. And when Duncan hits five, what's that stat from last year? When Duncan hits five threes, we win 87% of our games or something like yeah. that. I want hot. that stat to come back. I want that to be real again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love this. The flip of that is when Duncan sets the screen for Bam when he's in the high post, kind of catches it on the elbow, and Duncan slides in there, and, and he gets downhill so easy. It's it's almost an automatic basket or a foul for Bam. Um, you know, for, the, for answering the question who the Heat's leading scorer is, I'm going to kind of cop out of this one. I'm going to say I hope it's a different person every night. And I know that doesn't exactly answer the question, but if I think back to the playoffs last year, any given time, we could have Goron be the leading scorer. We could have Jimmy or Bam, obviously. We could have um, Tyler. You know, in this season, it could be Kendrick. Um, you know, even Ariza has has had hot games lately. So, to me, I think the balance is where we are the best. You know, when we have Jimmy and Bam plus a host of other people, five or six people in double figures. So, I'm hoping that maybe not having one person. Be, be the leading scorer consistently, but more of a balanced approach towards that. 
Yeah, love that. Love that. So this next segment is a little bit of an experiment. Me and Sean are both avid WNBA fans. We try and make sure that we're kept up with what's happening with the movements and the games. And we want to try and keep you guys up too. So the WNBA, it's 25th season is tipping off Tuesday. Um, Let's get to some quick predictions. Sean, WNBA champion, early, way too early season predictions, reckless speculation. Well, who you got? I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Aces. Um, And it's going to tie into uh, who I pick for MVP. But I just think, you know, Asia Wilson, uh, Coach Lambeer has a great uh, championship pedigree experience as a player winning championships as a coach winning championships. And I think, you know, Asia now, you know, a few seasons into her career, she's just going to be dominant. Uh, they have great players up and down that roster. And uh, I'm going to go with the aces. What do you think? So, so I'm not going to go against the grain here. I love Lambeer. I love Asia Wilson. I'm, I'm going to go with the aces too. I think this is a kind of like pretty much everybody's pick, you know, the Liberty have, gotten uh or see the storm have gotten a little older liberty are still not great they're still gonna have to figure out their cohesion um chicago has some play in there do you Mm -hmm. feel what do you feel about we didn't have this written down but chicago where do you really feel their potential lies well chicago got candace parker right they did that's i mean obviously that's a huge pickup um and van was i think league mvp last year yeah you know, they're I'm looking uh, I'm looking up on FanDuel. They're the fifth favorite um, to win the championship. It goes Seattle is first, Las Vegas second, Washington third, uh, L.A. fourth, Chicago fifth. And then it drops pretty quickly after that. Connecticut, Phoenix, Minnesota, New York. So, you know, a- adding someone like Candace Parker is is obviously huge. And in that league, you know, because it's not uh, there's not as many teams. When you have a star player like that, it's it's a game changer. So if they can get them gelled because of the season being pretty rapid fire when it comes to the WNBA, um, they're gonna be they're gonna be tough. I think Vandersloot assisted on 40% of all buckets that Chicago got, which is absolutely ridiculous. She needs somebody there to help her handle the load. Uh Candace yeah. immediately comes in and offers that support. I I I Pick the aces because I just think Asia takes another step. I do still love Seattle and people are coming after Sue Bird's age, but Sue Bird's game is going to age as long as she can move. Like what she does is set up that team to play well and, and run that offense. Brianna Stewart is everything else. And she is phenomenal. Sue Bird's like Chris Paul, like they age, but it doesn't matter because their brain is so strong in basketball. Like they understand the game so well that, their their physical ability has gone but their mental ability just to dominate that way it's it's just still so much stronger so um how about mvp i know i kind of hinted that i was going to go asia wilson and pair it with my aces pick but what do you think mvp uh i would love for it to be asia wilson i'm a big asia wilson supporter i'm basically a supporter of everybody in WNBA. i like brianna stewart this year for it though i think that everything's set up for her to make her run um, she's got enough support from the writers. She's later into her career now. So she's, she's pecking at it. Um, 
there's the the dark horse that Sabrina just goes absolutely insane for the Liberty and does the Luka Doncic thing and just takes over the league very quickly. Um, yeah. But I, I have a feeling that I, I, I'm leaning more towards Brianna here to to kind of take that that MVP leap. Yeah, I mean, Asia Wilson, I actually saw her play as a senior in high school. Our our school, I was still coaching on the boys staff, but our girls played them in a holiday tournament at Asia Wilson's school in, in Columbia, South Carolina. And as a senior in high school, dominant. Like, you can just imagine, right? Like a WNBA yeah. like, superstar playing that level. It was nuts. And obviously, she stayed there in University of South Carolina, won national championship. So, yeah, she was so prepared coming into the league. Like, her game yeah. was very defined. She knew what she was going to do, where she was yeah. going to get to on the floor. It's, yeah. it's very mature for her age. Yeah, definitely. So, you were throwing out teams here. Are there any teams that you think like could sneak up on somebody really surprise you with um, some of the talent that's under squad or some of their acquisitions maybe? So I went a little biased again. Uh, I went Connecticut <laughs> sun. Uh, they're, they're 10 to one. Um, I, uh, I think I mentioned this before that I, I did kind of volunteer and work with Kurt Miller, who's their head coach when he was back at Bowling Green. So I have a little bit of relationship there. Uh, obviously they're going to be without Alyssa Thomas, which, is a huge, huge loss um, for them and, and probably one that they can't really overcome. Uh, but I'm going to go with my, my boy, Kurt, Kurt Miller, and, and he can coach him up and hopefully uh, surprise some people with the, the season the Suns will have. So what do you think? I'm, I'm liking the Lynx as my, my surprise team. I'm watching – or well, you can't really watch the WNBA preseason, which is, is a whole another bag yeah. of chips that we could open. Um, but I'm catching uh, some reruns, kind of highlight smash ups of games. I-, I love their squad right now. Jessica Shepard and and Rachel Banham. They're they move the ball well. They operate in space pretty good. There's not a lot of teams in the WNBA that try to like really really push transition. Um, but they're they're pushing the ball. I-, I just like the way they play. And they're they're a fun team to watch. They've been together for a while, right? So seeing the ball yeah. move pretty well between them. Yeah, I mean, before we move into the the last segment, if if you have not watched WNBA basketball and you're an NBA fan, like you you need to give it a chance. Like, get over the fact that you know if you're a guy watching girls basketball, it is super high level. It's very much about execution because the game is primarily played below the rim. You know, where the NBA it's very much above the rim in a, in a lot of ways. So you know they run good sets, they run great defense. It's very team oriented, maybe much more so than the NBA sometimes. So if you like basketball, if you just watch some of those games, you'll you'll become a fan. I would almost guarantee. Uh, so let's look forward to the next four games, the last four games before we get into the playoffs. So at least we can now say when we get into the playoffs because we don't have to really worry about that anymore. So now looking at these last four games of the regular season, we get, we still are in Boston for one more game. Obviously there was some terrible news today about Jalen Brown. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, it looks like the time Lord Robert Williams is going to be doubtful tomorrow. So don't expect him to play. Then we return to Miami. We have one final home game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Before we go back on the road for our final two, they're back to back against Milwaukee and then the next night in Detroit. So, Tony, what are you thinking record over those last four games? And then where do you think we finish as a result of that? Four no. And I, I don't even say that with all the positivity and the sarcasm of crazy heat fan. I I really think it's four and oh. Like honestly, I, I we're gonna take Boston tomorrow. I there 
I could assume that they'll be a little deflated or even if they're ready to play us, they didn't look ready to play us yesterday. Um, Philly's got nothing to play for to play for. Like they literally, they, they should be actively trying to lose. Uh, This team has come out and talked about how they're in a playoff mindset already. They looked it for the last two games. This is a slate of teams that you should take care of business against, uh, especially with the lack of motivation from their side. I want us to take all four of these games uh, and take that fifth seed. I want that 5-4 matchup with the Knicks really bad, and I don't think there's a reason that we shouldn't try to win out to go obtain it. Yeah, I said last week going into this this last set of games, I wanted 4-2 um, and two on the last six. I wanted to win against Minnesota. I wanted to split in Boston. I wanted to split the Philly-Milwaukee games, and I wanted to obviously beat the Pistons in the last game. Now, you know, having won those first two parts of that, and now with Boston being shorthanded, now we definitely need to win the game. That basically locks us into avoiding the playoff. Uh, the yeah. play-in. play-in game, not the playoffs, but play-in game. And, um, you know, with Philly, like you said, I know I saw the report for tomorrow. I can't remember who they play on Tuesday, but they're resting Tybal and they're resting Cork Moss, and they just rested Ben the previous game and Curry the previous game. So it looks like they're sort of staggering who they're sitting. Um, and, and so you would expect that on Thursday in Miami, they may rest some players there. And, and for us so far, Joel is the person that hasn't got the rest. So either he's pushing for the MVP or maybe his time is going to come on Thursday. Um, you know, regardless, it's going to be a tough matchup. We played them shorthanded before we lost those games. We sh- probably shouldn't have lost one of them. Um, but it's a game we should win if we can play to our level. Um, and I think Philly's going to be less than motivated. Milwaukee, I think the interesting thing about that is we play them on Saturday. Milwaukee, potentially, as things shake out this week, could be our first-round matchup as the three-seed if we're the six-seed. If you're Bud, who already can't coach worth a damn, mm, you're going to come like, out on like Saturday this. night and you're going to show your hand to Spolstra, who already know you already know he can outcoach you. Why would you come out and show your hand a week before you're going to go into a seven game series against the team that embarrassed you? So I I definitely expect, unless you know, obviously, if Milwaukee is playing for either the two or three seed, if that still hasn't you know kind of shaken itself out, then maybe they will play. But I think that's a game where they'll rest. And Detroit has been resting for for weeks. Um, they have young guys that play hard. You, you do worry about that a little bit, but they're not trying to win, especially on the last game. Uh, it, that's not one you should have to worry about. So I would love to say 4-0, but for the sake of the pod, so we get a little bit of a differing opinion, I'm going to go 3-1, and one, and uh, you know maybe we lose one of the Philly or Milwaukee games. Yeah, you know, and as we're recording this, uh, the Hawks and the Wizards are playing, and uh, we've been kind of scoreboard watching out of the corner of our eye, and yes. Wizards were up at halftime. Then the Hawks blew it open, and now the Wizards have came back, and they're only down by five points. So that's that's a key, key, key game for the Heat right now. But you know what? Like you said, if, if we win three or four of these next games, that will mean we have won 11 out of 15, 12 out of 15, something like that. And we're going number. into the playoffs feeling good about ourselves, playing probably our best basketball of the season. We have our best record above 500 right now. Uh, you know, cross your fingers, mostly healthy team. Absolutely. And, and 
who knows with Oladipo, you know, we're, we're continuing to take guesses. We have no idea. You know, it sounds less and less likely that he's going to come out, but if you can get yourself a week off, that might be the opportunity that he can show that he can come back, but it's, it's definitely important for guys like Goron and Jimmy to get that week rest. All right, Sean, you want to close this out by thanking this week's sponsor? Absolutely. This week's sponsor is the Biogenesis of America Clinic in Coral Gables. If you need help with weight loss or hormone replacement therapy, we have hundreds of happy customers improving their performance, including Alex Rodriguez, Brian Braun, Nelson Cruz, and Victor Ola. No, no, no. I don't know if this is the type of sponsor we should have on our show. Maybe we need a new marketing manager. Rusty Pelican and Polo Tropical didn't renew. You know, that's a great point. If you run a reputable business and want to sponsor an unreputable show, please reach out to me at Philly Heat NBA or Twisted Tapioca on Twitter, or just drop us a question for next week's mailbag. That's even better. We love to answer your questions. Thank you for listening, subscribing, comment, liking the whole shebang. We appreciate you. On to another week of Heat Basketball. Made it five weeks. Five weeks! <laughs>